Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors, delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, their methods, best practices, and some personal stories from the trenches of journalism. Today we have a cool guest, a uh, friend of mine who I met at some reporting conferences uh, several years ago, Brandon Goldner of WNCN. Is that right, Brandon? Uh, Close, WCNC. WCNC, okay. Uh, my mistake. WCNC, <laughs> which makes more sense anyway, because it stands for WC for Charlotte, N for North, and C for Carolina. You're, in, you're down in uh, Charlotte. Yep, that's right. That's right. Been here three and a half years now. Excellent, excellent. So you graduated from the University of Maryland. What year did you graduate? So I graduated a semester early. So I graduated fall of 2013. My uh, parents kind of came to me. I already had some credits. Uh, was looking to, you know, ready to graduate early, and they were like, "Listen, your brother is starting as a freshman. We need to save your uh, some money. Can you uh, graduate early and uh, get out of the house?" So that's what happened, and got my first job. I think it was, God, I think it was a couple weeks uh, after I graduated. Moved to Greenville, North Carolina, as my uh, first job. So Greenville, and then um, and then straight to Charlotte from there. Yep, straight to Charlotte. Uh, two years in Greenville, and then straight to Charlotte. Had you spent a lot of time in North Carolina before these jobs, or no? No, I <laughs> I didn't even know where Greenville, North Carolina was. It was one of those things. It was in October. We have this at University of Maryland. This is campus TV station, and. One of my friends who works uh, who worked there at the time, he was a graduate student, and he got a job at uh, WNCT, the CBS affiliate uh, in Greenville, North Carolina, Media General Station for a little throwback. Uh, and they were looking for a second reporter, and he mentioned me. And the next thing I knew, I was driving down with him to Greenville, North Carolina, to look for apartments. We decided to live together to save some money, and kind of driving down there was one of those things that was like, oh, geez, you know, you know, what the hell am I getting myself into? I didn't know the area, didn't know anyone, you know, beside my uh, friend that I moved down there with. And it, I mean, it ends up being, I mean, just an incredible first market experience. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, yeah, so when we met, I remember you would, you would come to the uh, IRE, Investigative Reporters and Editors, conferences um and you were still in college right yeah so actually the first IRE I went to um uh you know it, I, you know one of your guests I know was uh, Josie Sturman um back in high school actually I was kind of a, a high school intern for uh Channel 2 the ABC affiliate in Baltimore they had this teen newscast where uh it's about 10 high school students you get together every Saturday, and at the end of each month, we'd put together a newscast. It was one of the only ones of its kind, and it was that year that IRE was in Baltimore, and that was the first time I got a chance to see it and realize, you know, geez, I mean, you know, all these reporters doing all these incredible things. I think Bob Woodward uh, was there that year, and it was just like just mind blowing to see all these incredible journalists. So I, you know, 
continued going. And um, I think I, jo through Josie, I think we met, um, I want to say it was uh, San Antonio, maybe. But um, yeah, I mean, it, just going to those conferences is always, I mean, it's just, and that was really, those conferences are really what got me this job in Charlotte, which is from networking. And I tell it to everyone if they ever get a chance to. I mean, for those conferences, I <laughs> I actually had to pay out of pocket uh, for pretty much all of those conferences. I actually, I, I still distinctly remember one of the conferences because it was both, I went to both IRE and SBJ and I remember <laughs> being on the phone with uh, Bank of America because, you know, at the time you don't make any, that much money your first job in college and on the phone with Bank of America trying to get my credit line increased oh, by like a thousand dollars so <laughs> I could afford the uh, hotel there oh, so wow. but oh. I mean it it, it 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 paid off immensely with this yeah, you know so that was really good foresight on your part you know to realize that and I have a lot of respect for you as someone who you know took your time as a college student to go to a conference like that because not every college students willing to do that you know a lot of them are focused on sleeping in or drinking or you know studying whatever but you know sometimes you, you see opportunities in life and you got to just jump on them you know and if you see that sometimes there's a really high upfront cost to certain things but it's really important to develop that skill of or you know gut feeling of like the, the, of knowing like okay there's a high upfront cost but what's the payoff you know and I think a lot of times in life we get intimidated by upfront costs and we're like, yeah, that's not worth it because it's scary and you're, you know, you're putting up, you're fronting the money. But if it's going to have a, a big dividend, a big payoff, then it's absolutely worth it. And, you know, but it, become, it kind of becomes like a little bit of a skill and recognizing that. And also, I think a little bit of just like a bravery thing, you know, kind of having the guts to, to give it a chance because there were no guarantees. I mean, there was no guarantee that, okay, Brandon goes to this conference as a senior in college that you it would help you get a job but you know you, you saw that it could it could help if you played your cards right and and so you know that's what you did so you know it's funny because back then you know you were this high school or uh, college student and you know uh the rest most of us you know were professionals at that point you know working and uh you know it's funny looking back on it because you know you would uh you would kind of like tag along with us you know and <laughs> along and you know, it was just kind of funny. You were some, occasionally, you know, sometimes you got like, why is this college guy following us around? But, um, which I kind of feel bad about looking back on it. Cause you, you know, you, you meant well and you were just trying to learn and trying to hang out. And, um, but you know, it's funny cause you, like I was the age that you're at now back then, you know, so I was like 20, 27. And, and so, uh, you know, now, now you're kind of the age that I was at at that time. But, um, well, and I remember, you know, I was, you know, it was that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed and thinking like, you know, I mean, I, I distinctly remember looking like, looking up to you guys and being like, God, how the hell do I get uh, to where they're at? It just, just the idea of doing these, you know, seeing these investigations. I know, I mean, the amount of investigations you've done and so many others there and just thinking like, God, how do I create all these sources and, you know, go through all these documents, make these documents requests. And it, it's, it's funny looking back at it and you know another thing you were mentioning kind of creating the opportunities um my parents were in town this weekend i uh was lucky enough got honored received an award for uh my work as a multimedia journalist and we were having dinner afterwards and we were talking about so it's something a story i don't really tell as much to many people but it was around the time it was between my sophomore and junior years of college i actually 
took a summer on-air internship, and it was the opportunity I had to create for myself, a summer on-air internship in Fargo, North Dakota, of all places. It was one of those where I, I got extremely, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, I got extreme privilege from working at Channel 2 in high school and, you know, being on air. Our teen newscast would air on Channel 2 Saturdays at 1230 at the uh, end of the month. So I had something, an opportunity that no one else had, and I was greedy for more of it, if you will. So I, I got, I was told by someone that, you know, students at Northwestern at the Medill School, they do a lot of those internships where you go to a TV station for a semester and you're essentially an on-air reporter. And so I was able to get, uh, I don't remember how, I think I just looked online, found a list of all the stations they partnered with, sent down email blasts to all of them, you know, asking if, you know, obviously I'm not a Medill student, but I'm a University of Maryland, Merrill College student, and I would really love to work there. And the one station I heard back from was Fargo, North Dakota. And that, that summer between sophomore and junior year, I spent 10 weeks there, you know, five days a week working as an on-air reporter, probably now these days, you know, they wouldn't do something like that, but, you know, didn't get paid or anything. So was able to find some funding from, you know, the Scripps Howard Foundation, which also funded that teen newscast. And it was one of those going out to Fargo, not knowing anyone there, not, not even knowing the city, but it was just that desire to be on air. And this was around the time when there was no Uber or Lyft. So I literally had to wake up in the morning, take the city bus uh, to the station. And the bus didn't even stop at the station. It stopped at a mall that was like a quarter mile away. And then I had to walk from the mall to the station. But it was one of those that, you know, just kind of creating those opportunities at the time, you know, thinking to myself like, God, what, what the hell am I doing in Fargo while all my friends from college you know, they're all engineering and business. They're having the time of their lives in Baltimore and D.C., but, you know, it ended up, you know, I definitely wouldn't have gone to where I am. And, you know, part of it, I think, with any young journalist is sometimes having to create your own opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, that's really an amazing story, the fact that you did that, especially at such a young age. Like, I mean, that just takes, I mean, so many people could never, ever do that. Like, I mean, you were there by yourself, right? Yeah, I was there by myself. I had to yeah. find my own housing. Right, right. I had to do groceries, so, all that. Yeah, I mean, so that was a very adult thing. And you were probably 19 years old or 20, yeah. I want to say. So yeah, you know, to, move, to go somewhere you've never been by yourself, all in preparation for a career. So I think it like brings up the question, like clearly you wanted this really badly. You know, that, that shines through that you want, you were willing to put in the work and the hours and the you know, possible loneliness and, you know, lack of money and everything. Um, you wanted it really badly, but why did you want it so bad? Oh, that, that's t so it's, it's something I sometimes think about. I mean, it, you know, this all kind of started through, I think with many things through one teacher in high school, it was, I mean, you know, I'm a true believer that everything happens for a reason. And the high school I went to, uh, shout out Pikesville high school. Uh, my mom went to that same high school, Pikesville. It, it's, town just outside Baltimore, everyone kind of, you know, everyone's parents went to the same high school. And then, you know, a lot of the kids went there too. So my mom at the, when she was in high school was on the school newspaper thought, so I thought, Oh, you know, why not? Let me try it and see. And I took a journalism class in ninth grade, kind of fell in love with it, really enjoyed it. And 
the teacher there really pushed me to join the school newspaper, which you know led to the that teen newscast. And it, it's hard to say. I think because it, 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 it wasn't one of those where, like, I mean, when I was nine and ten years old, I wanted to be an architect of all things. Uh, but then when I realized the amount of math and science involved, I think it's one of those just a combination of a passion for writing, which, you know, kind of got passed down from both uh, my mom and my father. And I think it was definitely something that I probably knew I was going to go into something where writing and storytelling was going to be involved in it. And then when I kind of fell into journalism, I just loved this idea, especially with TV, of using video and images and sound to tell stories. I just, I, I guess I'm just the type of person who's just very curious and just love telling stories and love knowing things, love knowing random things. And I definitely can't see myself. It's tough to see myself in, you know, my dad's an attorney. My brother is in law school right now. So I couldn't see myself, you know, being in a courthouse or an office. I just love the idea of being able to go out and meet people and share their stories. And it, 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 just the idea of video, using that video and using those images and sounds, it, it's just something that kind of, I guess, really spoke to me. But I'm kind of, I guess, probably different in the sense that I was fairly late getting into journalism and getting interested in it. And then I guess kind of when I decided this was going to be it, it was, you know, full throttle ahead. Yeah, I was, you know, we, they trained us in college as a multimedia journalist and they told us, uh, you know, this is how it's going to be. You're going to be a one-man band by yourself. So, you know, in Greenville, that's what I was doing as a multimedia journalist. And then in, uh, I mean, in Charlotte, you know, I kind of came here as a multimedia journalist. I think, you know, going from Market 90, I think at the time Greenville was Market 99 to Charlotte, which is now, you know, Market 21, you know, it's usually the people who make those jumps, it's usually, you know, those of us who can be multimedia journalists and, you know, let's face it, be young and fairly cheap to hire. So uh, that's what, I mean, being a multimedia journalist, it's something I do love. I'm kind of the type that I tend to be a little bit of a control freak sometimes and when it comes to my storytelling, but it is, you know, something I do really enjoy doing. And, you know, I thought about, you know, trying to do the anchor desk and trying to get some reps in there, but at, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it always, I always get drawn back into just being an MMJ and really being in control of kind of the shots I want to shoot and uh, just the sound I want to use. So it's, it's definitely, I think it's also from being an MMJ, the amount of gray hair I have now at 27 already shows. Yeah. It's very stressful. I I did it for a while. It's very, very stressful. Um, But you do have more control and you know, you, you end up developing additional skills that can be helpful. Um, you know, in, in a number of areas of your, of your life. But, um, so you, you know, you, you go out, excuse me, you go out with a, uh, camera, tripod, microphone, all of that good stuff, um, every day. And yeah. besides those items, what are other items that you make sure to have with you every time you go out on a shoot? So the big thing I've really, um, it, it's interesting because in Greenville, and I often find this in the same way with a lot of MMJs is your first couple of years, you're still kind of getting trying to get the basics down. So you're just, you know, usually going out with your camera equipment, your tripod, your microphones. Now everything's a little bit more complicated. Um, 
I have, you know, lucky enough I have my own take-home vehicle. So, you know, I have a lot of random stuff in there. I mean, the biggest thing is, I mean, the GoPros are just absolutely incredible. And I think do a lot when it comes to video journalism, just from simply from a time-saving aspect, having that ability to do kind of those two camera shoots while you're on the run, you know, interviewing someone, getting that close-up shot of their face while getting the wide shot of you talking and not having to rearrange the camera so you're staging it. I think that has really been beneficial. And it's just fun to put the GoPro in all sorts of random places. But a lot of times, really, it's come down to, you know, the, the pieces of equipment that truly are what I use to really help make the stories are, you know, the GoPro, which lets you get the cool shots and lets you get, you know, really up close in places where you can't. And then, uh, and the big thing is, you know, anyone's on the storyteller's Facebook group, it's that same debate always, all the time, the law versus stick mic. So for the most part, I, you know, mainly have uh, that law of mic. So, and that's, I mean, just, it does so much when it comes to sound. People think, you know, especially with TV journalism and, you know, multimedia journalism, it's all about just the visuals, all about the video, but I mean, sound plays such an incredible role. You can tell when sound is screwed up rather than a video, you know, not being framed properly or whatever. The viewer is gonna notice that sound sounding awful or sounding hollow, stuff like that compared to, you know, us journalists who are trained and, you know, we can tell, you know, see the little things that uh, yeah. others can't. That's a good point. I, I actually never thought of it in exactly those terms. And that's very true. Like a, a layman is much more going to be much more adept at catching bad audio than catching bad video. Because most people, I mean, the video has to be really bad for them to be like, oh, what's wrong with that? You know, but most people don't know the best practices. So if you kind of sneak in a couple bad shots, they're not going to really notice it. But bad audio, they, they will notice. I mean, you don't, you don't need a trained ear to hear something that's off uh, when it comes to audio. So that's a very good point you bring up. Um, so uh, congratulations on your award. I think I saw a picture of that on Facebook. That's awesome that you were able to win that. Um, what was it for best MMJ? Thank you. Yeah, no, it was uh, a multimedia journalist of the year for uh, North and South Carolina. Uh, it's the Radio Television Digital News Association of Carolinas. Uh, they have two divisions. Division one is the big markets, you know, the Charlottes, the Raleigh's, um, and so uh, I got honored with uh, first place for uh, Division One. So, uh, and now, now you know everyone's ribbing me in the newsroom because, like, oh, now you won a big award, so now you're gonna try to boss everyone around. But it, it's, I mean, it, it's really, you know, it's it's really incredible. It, it's, you know, and I think it's something that you know, and I'm fairly honest about when talking to people. Um, you know, obviously you're not in this business for the awards, but I mean, damn, it feels good just to have that vindication from others. Um, you know, it was during the summer, really, I was kind of sometimes, um, I don't think it gets talked about enough, you know, you, in news, you get into these ruts and it's just, you know, stories aren't working out sometimes. And, you know, sometimes the sound bites you get aren't the best sound bites and the creativity isn't there. And I was actually this summer kind of going through, a little bit of it. Part of it was just, I mean, this year has just been unbelievably crazy with breaking news in Charlotte, but it, get, it you know, sometimes getting to those ruts, it really can, you know, it, it can really, it really can suck. And I was in 
one of those ruts until I kind of found out that I got nominated for this award. Um, and then it, it, one of those that kind of like, okay, you know, I'm getting things done. I'm doing things right. So this, this, this is, you know, definitely a good motivator to get me pushing. You know, it's one of those things a lot of times, you know, especially really anywhere in a workplace, you know, you don't, you don't really get a lot of compliments. If you don't hear from, you know, the powers to be, that means you're doing an okay job. But if you do hear from them, it's usually because you, because <laughs> you screwed up or did something wrong. And I, I think that's something, especially that's a, you know, you, I feel you get it every time you're in TV, but especially that first market, that's always the biggest struggle because I, I still remember some of the times where, you know, geez, am I doing things right? Is this really, you know, the business that's it for me? Cause you're, it's, you know, you're, it's different from a lot of other things because you're, you're being, you're trying to do well in this job. You're trying to be an adult. And you're also doing this in a completely, for most people, completely foreign place and area you don't even know. So it's that, you know, triple thing that really can be tough. And, you know, it, it, you know, sometimes you get into those ruts and then other times you get into those, you know, grooves where you're, you know, feeling good. You're feeling like you're lighting up the world. And I think it's one of those normal things we often see, you know, bringing up the storytellers Facebook page again, you see people showing their best stuff, but you don't always get to really, you know, it's not always the discussion about, you know, times when, yeah, it, it's struggle. Sometimes it's, you know, can't make art today. Got to make slot. So that's both worlds, if you will. Yeah. Have you ever cried uh, on the job or, you know, I mean, like in private or, you know, has the job ever led you to tears? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there were two times in particular that really, really stood out to me. I think the first one was, it was around the time I started um, here in Charlotte. It was a, a depressing story. It was a child who uh, ran out onto a residential street and happened to run out into an oncoming truck and truck couldn't stop in time and struck and killed the boy. And it's one of those things where, and you hate, sometimes it's just, you hate doing it as a TV reporter just, you know, doing the door knock, the dreaded door knock of the family. And I had to do that um, with the family of this child. They were all gathered at the the young boy's home. And, you know, I was thinking like, uh, you know, because sometimes you never know. Sometimes they're going to scream at you. Sometimes they're going to you know try to run you out, point a gun at you. Thankfully, that hasn't happened to me. But, you know, you hear those uh, stories a lot of times. But this family was just so incredibly welcoming and was just so incredibly kind-hearted and they spent all this time there uh the young boy's grandmother spent all this time talking to me and just was just incredibly just talking about this young boy and just he couldn't help but cry because he just this is sweet young boy and it really was a tragedy and then the other thing kind of going back to uh Fargo you know the you know, with with the teen newscast I did in high school, it was all some hard news stuff. It was all feature. You didn't do a lot of crime stuff. This was kind of the first job where I really was covering crime uh, stories. And I had to do a story, and I still to this day remember this uh, moment. It was a story about a, it was a family that was killed. It was a, you know, North Dakota has a lot of those long two-lane roads and this family just ended up dying because they you know it was just one of those uh, wrong way drivers that 
crashed into this family. And we got the names and the identities of the family. The trooper gave them to us. So we then went to the neighborhood where this family is. And because, you know, you don't get usually get the names, the IDs of these people until next of kin has been notified. And by that time, you know, things, you know, the neighborhood knows, everyone knows. And I, it was one of those moments where I went and started, you know, obviously the family and there weren't any loved ones at the home. So I started talking to neighbors and I ended up having to tell one of their neighbors that, you know, the family next door to them had uh, passed away in a, in a car crash. And I think that was, that was definitely a moment that stood out to me as the first time I had to experience something like that, you know, as a reporter. And, you know, it just, it's a reminder. I think a lot of times, you know, in our job, we're getting really stressed from, you know, getting calls from the producers, the executive producers, the sign desks, news director, fellow reporters, you know, just about all this stuff pulling you around. And it's, you know, definitely those moments you sometimes have to take a moment and just, you know, just remember that, you know, at the end of the day, this is a family you're talking to that experienced one of its worst moments. And I think, you know, we often see and, you know, we, oh, a lot of times the worst case scenarios played out over and over again of, you know, when things go wrong and when reporters don't have that empathy that, you know, sometimes, I mean, really all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So you cried in that, in that neighborhood that day or? I didn't cry, but it was, it, it was one of those moments that just kind of stuck with me. It was that just, you know, kept on, you know, kind of in the back of my mind. Um, I'm trying to, I know, I know there've been, a, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's really, I mean, it's an incredibly emotional job. I think, you know, people, you know, people think it's, and I, you know, we know we always experience it where it's, you know, you're out in the field getting ready to do a live shot and the person comes up, it's like, oh, where's your teleprompter? I thought you only, you know, read the news. I thought, you know, you have a script and, you know, I thought, you know, I thought, you know, I thought, you know, the Democratic or Republican Party pays your uh, bills and tells them what to say, which I'm still waiting for my checks from both of those parties. But um, so kidding, of course. But um, it, it, it's it's one of those, it, it, it is a job that I think people don't appreciate how emotionally exhausting and draining it is. I, you know, I mean, the, you know, the times that obviously you do cry, but also the times that just, you know, I, the big thing with me is, you know, usually after I, I get off a of work shift, I usually go work out just to release steam. And, you know, usually when I'm working out, I'm just, I don't talk to anyone else. Excuse me. I don't talk to anyone else at the gym. I'm just, I just need to be in my own space, my own thoughts. Um, you know, back when I was in Greenville, you know, I dated a woman and, you know, we, since split a long time ago, but um, one of the things that I had to explain to her and that, you know, is, you know, you often see is the reason why a lot of, you know, TV reporters end up marrying TV reporters or, you know, TV people end up marrying people in medicine or law enforcement or firefighters, whomever, is that, you know, I needed, as soon as I get home, I can't necessarily just talk and just, have a conversation like right off the bat. Like I just need that few moments just to decompress. You know, we get paid to talk for a living. So it's those, those moments of, you know, decompressing and just, just letting go of the day. I think it's, I mean, it's so important. And, you know, and we, 
I mean, we see every day, we hear of, you know, people we know, we hear of coworkers, we hear of friends in the business who, you know, get pulled over and arrested for DWIs and that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's one of those important things about, I mean, especially in this business, about emotionally draining is just having, you know, being healthy when it comes to dealing with the emotions. Uh, I know it's kind of <laughs> taking a very serious turn for a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's okay. So <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's just a ton of emotion and, you know, we haven't even talked about covering, you know, mass shootings and all that sort of thing. So uh, it gets, it gets really heavy and there's not a ton of, um, you know, mental health resources allocated for reporting staffs, you know, which I think can be a problem actually. Um, and probably is something the company should invest more money in because it's a real, it's a real issue. So you're expected to go out in the front lines and witness these horrible things and talk to the people who are going through them. And half the time it feels like it's your own family member going through it or, you know, to relate to them, you really have to like let it seep into your soul so that you can be this like empathetic individual who they actually want to talk to. And then it's like, okay, clock out, go home, you know, and, and, you know, it's really difficult. So um, last year, whenever I worked in Pittsburgh um, for the ABC affiliate, we covered the, the synagogue shooting um, That's right. yeah. for, I worked like 16 out of 17 straight days, you know, beginning on one of my off days and then another one of my off days. And then, you know, pretty much worked straight through uh, long hours and, um, you know, interviewed a lot of people whose loved ones were shot to death um, at a place of worship, um, you know, with, yeah. And um, so, you know, our station did something great, actually, which I've never experienced before at another station, which is they brought in uh, service, to, or not service oh, dogs, wow. but um, what do they call that? Like the, therapy, the, dogs. The therapy dogs. Yeah. Therapy dogs. And like, I, I had never been around therapy dogs, like personally. Um, so I was a little skeptical of like, you know, okay, it's a dog, you know, I actually own two dogs, you know, maybe my dogs are therapy dogs, you know, what makes it so special, they have a degree in therapy, you know, but I will <laughs> yeah. say that these dogs were amazing. I mean, it really made a difference. It, it's just, it's one of those things, like, it almost reminds me of acupuncture, if you've ever had that done, but it's like, it might not even be doing something, but like, at least it gets you to be distracted and like lay down for a while and just be calm. And, and so I'm not hundred percent sure that acupuncture really does anything. I mean, I hope it does. I think it <laughs> might, but if nothing else, it gets you to lie down in a dark room for an hour and just like relax and, and meditate and be with your thoughts and, you know, have some physical contact with someone like poking these things in your back and it's kind of ticklish and, you know, <laughs> and so I, I, I think that's like an analogy almost for the, you know, comparable to the therapy dogs. Cause I, I don't know what they actually did. I mean, they don't talk to you. They don't like rub your back or something. But um, you don't, you know, tell them your story. But just the aspect of like taking a break, you know, everyone came together. That was the key thing. It's not like you went in a room by yourself with a dog. Like we all just gathered and sat on the ground together in the newsroom floor, you know, carpeted floor. And it was like a beautiful thing. And I really, really think it helped actually. I mean, that's incredible. I, I know um, I have a couple of friends who uh, work in Norfolk who uh, were covering the uh, mass shooting in Virginia Beach. Um, and um, they've... I think they did a couple sessions with the therapy dogs and they were saying how incredible it was incredibly helpful it was it's it was one of those uh because we had we had the unc charlotte shooting um and i was involved in the coverage of that uh you know i was at police headquarters when they brought when they first brought the kid in and you know we got to see the first images of that kid and him you know yelling that he you know shot a few people in the classroom and and you know, I think it was, what was it, the next day I interviewed a friend of one of the victims, and then the day after I was interviewing a 
one of the kids who was inside the classroom when uh, this kid started uh, opening fire. And, you know, he's since pleaded guilty to all of these crimes. And it, it was one of those tough things because it happened, this shooting happened, uh, I think it was, uh, it was, uh, I want to say it was April 30th. And then, but the problem was it was right into May sweep. So we were all, you know, swamped with that. So it, that was one of the things I wish, you know, that I think, you know, all newsrooms really need to consider just because, I mean, you know, we never really got the chance to really kind of decompress from that moment. And I think, you know, any, you know, any news directors listening out there, <laughs> pets always help. Pets always, you know, play a big role. And, you know, it's no fault against our, I mean, our, you know, we did other things as well, but it's, you know, you know, sometimes it's one of those, just that daily grind, you know, it's, you know, the, I mean, those activities really help. I mean, really do. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, something to consider. And when I was younger, I didn't think as much about it. I had a reporter who I worked with in Connecticut named John Charlton. And, uh, you know, I was a pretty young reporter whenever the Sandy Hook shooting happened. Yeah. And that was, like, in some sense, it almost feels like that was, like, the most momentous, horrific mass shooting since um, Columbine. Like, I, I, that may not be true, but for some reason in my mind, it just feels like one of those, like, inflection point oh, yeah. shootings where because it was like young young kids and, and you know we hadn't seen that before so columbine was definitely like a marker in history a horrible one but a marker and sandy hook feels like another marker um and you know maybe parkland you know i don't know you know you can't you can't rank these shootings on a graph that's inappropriate and and not a good thing to do and, and just can't be done because they're all loss of life and you know, even people who get shot in the hand, I've interviewed people who've been shot in the hand, that's it, but it changes their life. I mean, oh. I, I met a father who just wanted to talk on behalf of his son who was shot in the hand by, but with a totally senseless random shooting, just wrong place at the wrong time. He was literally driving in his car down the road and a bullet comes out of nowhere on a on broad daylight in a nice neighborhood on like a Saturday. He was getting his car washed, hits him in the hand, and his hand was basically blown up. I mean, so he... Oh you know, had to have reconstructive surgery, the nerve endings don't work, you know, uh, his thumb's like missing, so there's no thumb. Um, he can't play the guitar anymore, can't do his job. I mean, that's going to change his life. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, even just like dating someone, you know, will never quite be the same. He can't even hold their hand with that hand. So, you know, and that's just someone who was not even in a mass shooting. So, I mean, you know, it's always tough when people say like, oh, there were, you know, how many deaths were there? Oh, there were eight. You know, I think we all do that now whenever you see yeah. a mass shooting, you're on Twitter moments and you're like, okay, quick, like how many people died though? And then it says like, you know, eight died, but 21 were injured. And you're like, and you just kind of think of the injured people as an afterthought, you know, or there's like that tendency or, or exactly. but like, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, those people, their lives are also very, very, very much changed in so many ways. And we, you know, I mean, PTSD, fear, uh, medical bills in this country, you know, in any country, but especially this country, it's like, all of that stuff, you know, missed work time. I mean, you know, uh, going to Thanksgiving dinner and then maybe some gun debate comes up and you, all you yeah. want to do is just eat and you were a victim. And then, you know, so it's like, it, it's just insane. But what I was going to say quickly is just that um, I talked to that reporter, John Charlton, because him and I were, you know, and everybody at our newsroom were some of the first reporters on the scene of Sandy Hook, you know, back in, in 2012, December, 2012. And uh, I mean, for me, that was the hardest story I've ever had to cover and, and probably will be even harder than the synagogue shooting because 
I think I was a little bit hardened by then and um, it was adults. And I mean, that was also very, very tough to cover, but Sandy Hook, I mean, it just caught me off guard and it was right in our backyard. And um, it was such a national story. You would come home from it and and try to zone out. And then it was right on TV. You know, you couldn't escape it. It was on local news, national news. Um, You know, I didn't like have a beer for like the next month. I just couldn't even bring myself. I I had no interest in like alcohol and partying and hanging out with people. I just couldn't do it. I, I, I felt like something so much bigger had occurred more important. It, it felt like a dishonor to those victims for some weird reason to, you know, go out and have a beer. Um, and I mean, for several weeks. Well, and I mean, I'll, I'll be, I mean, that, that's the thing that frightens me the most is, and I know, you know, unfortunately the way, you know, with, you know, we see these mass shootings always happen. It's always that kind of, the thing that frightens me is getting out there. And of course the kind of, is that drive to, you know, have to go live right away, have to go live right away. And that's the thing that I'm curious because, you know, this UNC Charlotte mass shooting, I was the one who was assigned to the police headquarters. I wasn't out there talking to scared students, scared parents. And it's one of those things I'm frightened about and curious about is how I will handle those moments when, you know, you're getting all sorts of conflicting information. You're trying to be respectful, but at the same time, trying to get on camera interviews with people. And it's one of those, I think it's just one of those, you know, when it happens, you just, you know, there's no way really prepare for it. You just have to experience it and go with your gut instinct. But that is definitely, I know for me, one of my biggest, I don't want to say fears, but it's one of the things I'm anticipating and curious how I, you know, how I will respond when it comes to, you know, unfortunately that inevitable moments yeah absolutely um but yeah john charlton i mean he was after that shooting he was saying you know this you know he was kind of whispering to me man they gotta they should have counselors in here for us this is crazy because you know it it was tremendously emotional and it's like i think you know it's like you said i mean first responders ambulance police i mean fire like almost all those people need counseling and those people are far more brave i always think than reporters but but reporters are on that scale. Yeah, I mean, the reporters, you know, are doing an important job and, and you know, are not necessarily heroes or anything like that, but um, and, and definitely less so, I think, than the police and, and the military, you know, that type of thing. But um, we're on that we're on that scale somewhere, you know, on a spectrum. And, and um, it, uh, you know, mental health should not be ignored. And, you know, I think managers and, and really, you know, corporations need to keep that in mind and, and should provide something, you know, even if it's on a Saturday and, and you come in on your off day, or even if it's, you know, a stipend to see a therapist, you know, something, but something or therapy dogs, I mean, at, at a minimum, but, uh, <laughs> Yep, that's, uh, that's important. So, so what are your goals? Uh, are you going to stay in Charlotte forever? Um, are you, do you like Charlotte? Are you, uh, do you want to be a network reporter? Do you want to, you know, switch gears? What do you want to do? Well, so it's interesting. I feel like it's always one of those, um, you know, when you, as soon as you graduate, you know, as soon as I graduate college, the goal right away was, you know, I'm going to go wherever I need to go. I, cause you know, I want to go network. That's what I want to do. I want to be a network correspondent. And that's still, you know, it's something that I'm interested in, but you know, as getting older, getting more mature, it's kind of become the idea of getting back closer to home, getting back closer to, friends and family, whether it's, you know, my family's from Baltimore, you know, I went to school in DC and my friends are in DC. So 
ideally, you know, the goal will ultimately be to really get back closer to family and friends. And it, it, it's interesting how that's, you know, if you would ask me that, you know, a few years ago, whether I would, my, whether my top priority would be to get back closer home rather than climb like a market all the way up the ladder. I mean, I think I would probably say you're crazy, but it, it's definitely interesting how that goal is. So really probably the, the short-term goal right now is to ultimately, you know, get back closer to the family. I mean, I, I, I'm at the point where I'm still, I still can't my, see myself doing anything else TV wise. I mean, you know, job wise. I mean, I love being in TV news. I, you know, it's something I really enjoy. And um, I think, you know, the, the short term goals will obviously be getting back close to home, but also doing a lot more uh, investigative work. Um, most of my stuff right now, I did a little bit of investigative work, um, a, a decent amount in my first job. And then second job, Charlotte's kind of that, run and gun type market. So I have a lot of breaking news experience, but, um, you know, throughout the day, it, I mean, it's really one of those during the day, whenever I have a, a down moment from, you know, not working on a story, I'm, you know, working on a piece of investigative story that I'm passionate about or interested in. And, you know, at the end of the day, it comes to, I've become quite the expert at time management, partly by, partly by force. Um, when I, my first year here in Charlotte, I was um, MMJing two packages, two separate stories. And oftentimes those two separate stories were not close. They could be as far as an hour from each other. And it was one of those things where it was really just the priority of time management and making slot and figuring out how to cut down things. and you know, and each in the packages as well, you know, we only, we only get a minute 10 package for live shots, uh, minute 35 for uh, look lives. And, you know, that's the other thing I would say to reporters is always be friendly and kind to your producers because they're the ones who often control the TRT and, you know, the, the total runtime. And I, you know, I've been able to get away a little bit with longer packages, but, um, you know, it's definitely one of those moments kind of learning, you know, time management skills. And right now I'm trying to use this time management skills to work on some, you know, investigative pieces while kind of getting through the daily grind. Um, so yeah, yeah, short-term investigative and hopefully, uh, you know, getting back close to the home and, you know, the idea of network news is always something that is of interest to me, but it's kind of, you know, would be way down the line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you won that award, um, best multimedia journalist of the Carolinas, essentially, um, wh how, why do you think it was you that won it? What do you What do you think you do that's the most different? You know, and I don't want to hear you talk about just the things that everyone does. You know, which are just standard things that you need to do. But what do you think it makes you special in your coverage that enabled you to win that award? Uh, Hmm. So I would say probably, you know, and, you know, going a little, you know, deeper here, then, you know, obviously, you know, you have the, you know, like you said, you, it's the typical, you know, creative, uh, multi-part standups, creative live shots, creative packages, that sort of stuff. The thing I think that kind of put me a little bit over is, you know, and I'm, I'm very open about this. I have a, 
<laughs> probably an unhealthy obsession with uh, perfection. Um, I am fully aware that perfection is impossible. Nothing is all is 100% perfect, especially in TV news when it's that guillotine of deadline that's you know bearing down on you. But it's this really obsessive quality I have when it comes to trying to do great work, great multi, you know, media work. It's always funny. You know, I try to, you know, I talk to my mom a couple times a week and she always, <laughs> she's always uh, like, Oh, you know, you did such a great job with that. So-and-so package. I'm like, yeah, no, it was, it was a crappy package. I only, you know, I had an, I only had an hour to edit it. So, you know, or, or less. And so I just threw that together. And I, I, <laughs> I, I think it, it, it's, it's that obsession really with trying to refine things and tweak my work and make my work better. Um, you know, it definitely probably, you know, if I'm going to be the self-diagnosing psychologist here, definitely some workaholic tendencies, you know, kind of growing up my father, you know, and not to get all Freud and everything, but you know, my father, you know, and he still works long hours as an attorney. So I kind of, I, and I still remember seeing that growing up and it's something that, you know, there was the idea of long work hours really kind of, you know, played a role in my work ethic. I mean, I mean, to, just to give you an example, I think when, when was it? it was Tuesday, um, I got a tip from someone about a uh, car crash involving a police officer and it, that police officer may have been, you know, they're still investigating. And now of course they're not getting back to me with a uh, update on their investigation, but that the police officer may have been looking down in his computer terminal when he crashed, uh, when he caused his car crash, the officer, thankfully. Okay. Um, you know, I kind of, you know, I told my newsroom, you know, even though I'm on my off hours and then I looked at, you know, my Google maps, just, you know, out of curiosity where this was located and, it was six minutes from where I was, you know, after, you know, usually every night I drink, you know, I go to the Starbucks, after I work out, I go to Starbucks and get a little coffee and read the New York Times, get the Sunday edition delivered. And so it was one of those, oh God, six minutes away, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Just go out there, shoot some video, whatever. And, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's that, I, I, I will say it's probably that workaholic tendency that, unhealthy perfection thing um that really kind of drives me you know i you know and again yeah. i know this is awful i mean you know and you know from you know pittsburgh abby lee miller dance moms you know it's my it's my guilty pleasure tv show she always says uh second is the first to lose so i have i have a little bit of that you know obviously that's to the extreme but i have a little bit of that competitive edge uh, well, ended up in jail sorry she ended up in jail. Yep, yeah, she did. Um, I don't know if we want to take her advice too seriously, but no, yeah, I totally hear you. I mean, you know, hard work is a key ingredient, and that's actually been a big mantra for me in my career as a reporter was to just outwork people because um, there were definitely, you know, people who are far more handsome or, you know, taller, you know, better hair, whatever, you know, maybe um, more traveled, you know, I don't know, whatever, but better writers, but. I always felt that if I could outwork them, you know, if I need, if we both needed an MOS interview and they would give up after knocking on 10 doors, you know, I wanted to knock on 30 and just figured, Hey, it's a numbers game. As long as I have time, you know, why not? Um, you know, and it, it when you do door knocks like that, it, it kind of, it's a blow to your ego. It's almost like asking someone to prom 
and they say no, you know, because you have to go through a lot of no over and over and over again. And you're really putting Absolutely. yourself out there. Um, so anyway, that's a tangent. But um, yeah, I mean, hard work can definitely, excuse me, set you apart. Um, so that's cool to hear um, some of those stories about what you've done. So um, we're going to segue now into the uh, rapid fire question portion of the program here on the Reporter Podcast. So uh, Brandon Goldner with us here, um, WCNC TV, the NBC affiliate in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, same market that uh, Matt Grant works in, who uh, Fox 46, who we had on the podcast uh, a couple episodes ago. Um, so, Brandon, what is your? Uh, these are these are designed to be answered quickly. So, if you go over 20 seconds, I'm gonna cut you off. Um, so, what is your um, favorite type of workout when you go to the gym, or what's your favorite type of workout? Uh, yoga, yeah, definitely relaxing. It's just yep. that one hour I need. Very nice. Uh, how many times a week are you doing that? Not enough. <laughs> okay. um, what is your favorite type of caffeine? Oh, I, I just, just give me a Starbucks, a Venti Pike. I am good to go. Okay. Even in the summer, even in the hot summer, you do the hot coffee? Even in the summer. I may sweat a little, but you know what? I, I, I need that coffee. There you go. Um, what's the favorite, what's your favorite place that you've ever traveled? Oh, um, New Orleans. Oh, I need to get there. I've never been there. Definitely need to get there. I heard, I heard you always have a good time no matter what. So I absolutely. Um, place. what is the, your favorite item that you've purchased recently that cost a hundred dollars or less? So like in the last year or so favorite thing you've bought that was a hundred dollars or less. Ooh, God, ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, probably, probably um, recently bought Ronan Farrow's uh, book, Catch and Kill, I just started and really enjoying that. Yeah, he's doing some incredible work um, with all the exposés, you know, of, of the Me Too movement and everything like that. Um, all right. Um, what is something you carry with you just about every day to work as a reporter that you see as indispensable, but might kind of surprise some other people? A mobile cell phone charger because our station cell phones are old and suck up too much battery. So you bring a, a mobile, so like one, like a car one, you mean? Uh, like one of those, like you carry, like, you know, it's like a little. Oh, right, right, like, right. Like a pocket juice. Yeah. Like the extra. Yeah. Pocket juice. Yeah. yeah I cannot. Oh God. The yeah. number of times I've had IV. Yeah. After covering a series of protests last year and having all of our cell phones die, we, we had this one thing that lasted like eight hours straight. So it ended up with a parkway being shut down. That was, uh, not last June, but the June before June of 2018. Um, you know, my, I, I have two, I always carried two cell phones on me. I had my personal one and my work one. And then, you know, both of those had died. Uh, then I was using my photographer's cell phone and he had two, a personal and work. His personal died, then his work died, you know, and we were like stranded. And so finally the news director was like, would it help you if we had, you know, like those pocket juice things? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, that would, help. that would help a ton. Yes, yes, yes. And so thank God that, you know, they just went out and ordered like five of them. Um, you know, they should have ordered like 20, but um, no, they got like five, which was awesome. And kudos to them for, you know, recognizing um, a need in the newsroom and just delivering you know, yeah. on it and helping us out. But um, yeah, those are awesome. And uh, 
Chris Van Cleve, um, I think, was one of the first people I saw who had one of those. And he had, really? like, oh, wow. on him one time. And I was like, holy shit. Like, that, this guy is legit. You know, he's, he's big time and he's network and, and he has three of these. And <laughs> so I think I'm going to emulate that. And I went out and bought one at, like, the Apple store or something. You have to be careful. You don't want to – like, some of the Chinese brands are really, really good. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like total duds and they don't work. So you got to watch out. I mean, of course, the irony is that all the Apple stuff's made in China anyway. But, um, Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, you don't realize how desperately you need that phone until it's at 1%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when it's for your job. I mean, if it's just, you know, if you're a kid who just wants to look at TikTok all day, it's like I don't endorse having extra <laughs> battery life. But, you know, if it's for your job, um, you know, and if your job is, is entails helping people and covering really, really, really important events where it's, you know, a one shot deal and you can't miss out on things, then yeah, I think it's really important to have that extra pocket battery. So I guess that's why I just talked about it for three and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> if you could have a billboard on the most highly traveled road in Charlotte, also in DC, Baltimore, New York, Chicago, and LA, and you could have anything on the, the those billboards, uh, you know, a saying, a sentence, a picture, uh, both, what would you have on, what would you put on it? Oh, well, Going back to what you were talking about with the first responders, it was a great line uh, that news, the museum had on its wall in D.C. I think it was, uh, you know, the first people to the scene of, you know, you know, crazy whatever are firefighters, police, and journalists. So, Okay, yeah. Um, all right, um, and then this one's kind of fill in the blank. Um, so it's a little hard to explain, though. It's kind of like you're searching for like a fictional, like your fictional alter ego. So, for example, like the game is like Bo is the blank of journalism, and so my answer for myself, kind of how I see myself, how I want to see myself or want to be, is Bo is the Jason Bourne of journalism. <laughs> um, so, what would yours be? Brandon is the blank of journalism. Let's say the the Jack Bauer journalism okay keeping along with the theme of the like fighting but smart technology uh action hero guy okay um, well, and, and a lot of a lot of during the day damn it's and other curse words <laughs> yeah, yeah swear words and, and frustration uh who's your favorite stand-up comedian uh joan rivers i saw her once uh before she passed away one of the best comedy shows i've ever seen wow Rebels. Surprised by that answer, but I appreciate it. That's good. Um, I mean, I'm just getting a lot of Chappelle from people, so I, that's that's good. Oh, of course. Um, what is the best movie about journalism of all time? Have you ever seen a movie about journalism? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of something, you know, because I know everyone says the typical. Uh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll go with the chalk answer spotlight. Okay. Yeah. That's a great one. Um, someone else said that as well. Everyone's going all the president's men. Of course. Um, I reminded Matt about Citizen Kane, which is about journalism is that's also right. ranked on the list of like top any type of movie. So that, that, that's gotta be a contender. Um, but yeah. Okay. Uh, Spotlight is awesome. Um, I, I was telling somebody else, I was like, I don't know if I can ever watch that again. It's just way, it's so intense and stressful. Yeah. But, but I yeah, loved watching it once I, I was, you know, transfixed by it and made me want to go out and, and do some great investigative reporting. I think it does one of the best jobs of any film, maybe even better than all the president's men of just showing the process of reporting and the emotional ups and downs and how long it takes to crack that nut of, you know, getting the story. So, um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, who is your favorite author? 
blanking on their names right now, but it's the two authors who wrote that book, Game Change, about the 2008 election. One of my favorite books of all time, and I just love their writing style. Okay. Um, I just, the two, uh, two books that I read this summer, uh, did the audiobooks on a drive from California to Pittsburgh, so a long drive. Oh, wow. It was um, Bad Blood about the Elizabeth Holmes story. Oh, yeah. Which uh, John Carreyou, uh was just flat out amazing. Probably one of my favorite books of all time now. Um, I also recently read uh, Tom's River, which was re- recommended by um, a friend of mine named Chantal. And uh, that was just flat out fantastic. I'd recommend that to any reporter, any investigative reporter, anyone who cares about the environment. Just, uh, just really, really, really good. Um, I, Bad Blood was a great, and I, I need to watch the documentary too. I read the book and I know HBO did a whole documentary on it. Just, just that deep Elizabeth Holmes voice. It just, it just fascinates. Oh, it's, it's so, it's so crazy. I mean, the voice alone. Yeah. It just transfixes it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did the. I listened to the podcast that ABC uh, or the 2020 did. Um, Rebecca Jarvis and uh, oh, yes. the book, and and those are two different things. I mean, the book is is probably better, but the podcast is good too. And then uh, I have not seen the video documentary. I would like to see that um, as well, just because I really haven't seen like her uh, physically, you know, using that voice. It's just it's amazing. What a story. And then yeah. also, I did. Uh, I'm a little late to the party, but I I read or listened to uh, Dreamland about the heroin, you know, opioid. Oh, yeah. That's, that's like a must uh, read, I think, for all Americans. But um, it was really redundant. They, they kind of said the same thing about 700 times, but it was still worth reading. Um, really, really good. Really, I mean, just an incredibly deep dive and, and so much research and work went into that. Um, and, and I thought I knew the story of, you know, heroin and opioids, and I, ha- I just, I really had no idea. I mean, you know, we all have this little like two sentence narrative of like, oh yeah, like the doctors were giving out too many exactly. <laughs> and it's like it's so much more than that, you know, than than you know, I think I think we do that as a society and as people and it's just natural, you know, we kind of summarize things into these like two sentence explanations and we carry those around in our head. But, you know, and that's fine, but like oftentimes I think it stops us from learning more about a certain topic because we're like, Oh, I already I already know about that. I, I already know exactly. And it's like you know, I'm, as I get older, I realize like, like you don't, and you shouldn't wall yourself off to new information, you know, um, you know, now look, I'm not going to read that book again. I'm not going to watch the movie again, you know, but like, but once is fine, you know, especially, so even if you think you already know something, sometimes you don't, but anyway, um, what book have you read the most times, like over and over or given out as a gift the most? Oh, all right. So we're, we're going to go back a ways. Um, <laughs> It's actually a children's book back in the day that I read over and over again. It's called Frindle. Um, it, 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 looking back now, it's a weird book. It basically this kid in elementary school who or middle school who uh, teacher, you know, they were using a pen and they were talking about the dictionary words. And the kid was like, "Well, I'm going to call this pen a Frindle now." And the teacher was like, "No, you can't do that." And the kid was like, "Watch me." And so he did. And the pen became known as the Frindle. So a very weird book, but I read it a bunch of times as a kid. So, And you still read it like every week now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, every week now, you know, waiting for the live shot. I still, no, I'm just, no, I, it, it's Perfect. been a while, but I don't know why that book. Um, okay. Has always stuck to me. All right. Um, well, that's fine. Um, all right. And the final two questions, um, you just pick one or the other, uh, rap or country? Uh, rap. 
Cats or dogs? Oh, dogs. Had to, has to be dogs. Uh, pen or pencil? <laughs> pen. Pen. All right. Uh, that'll do it for our interview. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join the Reporter Podcast. We certainly encourage you to share your episode once it is uh, ready to go um, with all of your friends, uh, family, and um, followers on social media. I think, you know, this podcast is, the idea was for it to be pretty intentionally niche or niche, um, like as like almost like an industry insider podcast. So the idea was not for it to appeal to the general public, you know, and you're using terms like TRT, which is total runtime and stuff like that, which, you know, people aren't going to really know and we're not really giving explanations out. So that was sort of the idea. But the more I think about it, I do think that given that, you know, the guests are TV reporters and anchors and meteorologists, you know, they have a following. And so I think that your followers, if, if pitched right, if advertised correctly, would be interested in, you know, hearing um, what you're like as a person, you know, not just seeing you on TV. And, you know, it would be kind of weird if you just wrote all this stuff out yourself or wrote an essay about yourself. So it's a good format for um, getting out some, you know, some personality without, um, doing it in a cheesy way or, you know, way that would take away from your credibility. So, um, yeah, so hopefully people are interested in your episode and all of these episodes. Um, so feel free to share on, uh, all the socials and, uh, Brandon, if people are trying to find you on social media, um, what's the best place to do that? And what is your handle there? Yes. Um, so Facebook and Twitter, Facebook, uh, Brandon Goldner, Twitter, at Brandon WCNC. And are you on the other social media things? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Instagram, uh, uh, just Brandon Goldner, all one word. Uh, don't have Snapchat or TikTok yet. Okay. So trying all, to- right. all right. Well, hey, thanks again. Um, appreciate you Thank coming you. On, the, on the program, on the show. And uh, we'll have to stay in touch. And, and good luck down there in uh, Charlotte. Keep winning those awards. Keep keep up the work ethic and and also stay healthy though pay attention to mental health absolutely appreciate it both thank you so much all right take care i'll talk to you later all right see you bye thanks for listening to this episode of the reporter podcast with bo berman please share subscribe and leave a review on apple podcasts